um, uh, Spotify and stuff. So you better yeah, download this yeah. podcast and listen to it when you're travelling around, I suppose. Um, so just one second where we can just like wiggle a little bit on a chair. Yeah. Just like, you know, crack our knuckles, all that good stuff. Oh, so welcome. No, we naturally need a few second silence of okay. us moving on the chair. There we go. That'll help the audio. Just for anyone that doesn't understand what I was after there. Yeah, you um, uh, to get rid of like background noise, you have to be silent, say, for the regular ambient noise that you'd have like naturally, like you know, the creaking of a chair, a little bit of wind outside, your washing machine on downstairs, your neighbour like I'm uh, running a Hoover or something. Cade barking in the background because Carl was assaulting me with ball caps. Yeah. So when you activate, um, uh, like you know, just the general clean up thing that happens automatically when you do your audio, it can just eat more easily. Like just clip that stuff out for you, but. Uh, you did already miss the the crack open of the cider. That was yeah, unfortunately. You also missed like the the clean ass headshot I pulled <laughs> off. But yeah, welcome audio listeners to another episode of Wiki Weekdays with me, your host Carl, and my co-host uh, Lucas, who's about to take a drink. Hello. Yeah. And uh, yeah, today we don't know what each other's talking about. We are in person, yes. We are indeed. So uh, apologies if like the audio is slightly more like, echoey or something. Um, just one of those of like we're recording in one room with <clears throat> with a single mic, so we've had to turn it up a little bit and just like it might be a bit more sensitive to background noise or a bit of echo or whatever. So mm-hmm. apologies for the audio quality, but it does mean that we get to be together in the same room, which means that we can talk about what we. I can see your live reactions to because <laughs> we pre- prior to starting recording we did um, uh, do rock basis, which I won, and I'm going to start and my wiki for this week. Lucas is. The wiki entry on Wikipedia, and as always, the a link to the wiki I'm reading from can be found below. Mm-hmm. Um, not for the people watching live, but the people listening after the fact. The United Kingdom Parliamentary Expenses Scandal. Oh. So, I was looking forward to like a beer and some excitement, <laughs> and Carl's like, how about the downfall of our country? So, for Americans listening, or perhaps like English people listening who just like block this period out of their life, there was a huge scandal a few years ago, and it turns out, like, who'd have thunk it, all of our MPs are corrupt as fuck? Politicians, Carl? Corrupt? Politicians abusing their power (laughs) for, like, you know, um, uh, their own ends, but it was, I think the reason I wanted to cover this is, one, it's very funny, and two, I think it highlights just the absolute disdain the ruling class in the UK has for the common man, because... Mm -hmm. Some of the examples of the things that MPs claimed for were actually ridiculous. Like there were MPs, like as we're probably going to cover in a bit, who like claimed things like five p back that they put into a charity box, so and so. But like you know, so we're all um, on the same page. And you know, on the one that I remember, the duck mo. But the, anyway, the duck mo. I will clarify that like Carl and I are both very northern and very anti-Tory people. So yes. if that's triggering for you. I guess don't listen to this one. Both very, very working class. Like I grew up in a colliery town, so like you know, fuck Maggie Thatcher and all that good stuff. But for anyone who's maybe not familiar, and we're literally recording this in Liverpool, like <laughs> the 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 city of fuck the Tories. Oh, but so we're all on the same page. The United Kingdom parliamentary expenses scandal was a major political scandal that emerged in 2009, considering expenses claims made by members of the British Parliament, both the House of Commons and the House of Lords, over the previous years. The disclosure of widespread misuse of allowances and expenses permitted members of Parliament um, aroused widespread anger among the UK public and resulted in a large number of resignations, sacking, deselections and retirement announcements, together with major public apologies and the repayment of some expenses. 
And th- what year did this take place? 2009. Yeah, because this was um like 92 baby myself and um I remember this being like roughly the time that I was able to, you know, start voting and thinking more politically and like oh yeah, okay, I kind of roughly knew politicians were bad. Yeah, because everyone, yeah. like, you know, you kind of get grown up in Britain a lot of people tell you that, especially working class families will tell you that, but like yeah, that just coming out just before at the age of voting, and I'm like... And that's the thing about it, it really did just highlight how bad it is. So mm-hmm. we have here, so background and legal proceedings. In the United Kingdom, MPs can claim expenses, including the cost of accommodation, wholly exclusive and necessarily incurred for the performance of a member's parliamentary duties. Which I don't think anyone's going to complain about. It's like you're an MP, like, like you might represent, say, Liverpool, but you might have to conduct business in... London, so I like, claim yeah. expenses back on stuff like staying in a hotel, train fare. It's like, I, you know, I had to travel here. I used a train to get here. I will claim that back on my business expenses. Big Wang's Incorporated, let's go. Yeah, and I think it's fair enough that, like, if you are, you know, an employee that's required to do things like commute and go and stay in hotels overnight and things like that, that should be expensed by the company but the issue being here that this is like taxpayer money it's taxpayers money also as well that most mps are pricks i I always refer to that amazing bit in ali g in the house where (laughs) ali g the film's about it's it's sasha baron cohen film what americans are more familiar with is like borat persona but he has a persona of like um uh, working class um uh, like white gangster character Mm -hmm. and he's like um gets corralled into being an mp by charles dance of all people it's like so, you ever thought about being a member of Parliament? It's like, why would I do that? They're all pricks. <laughs> and Charles Dance asks him, well, I'm an MP. Do you think I'm a prick? He's like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, that's it. Yeah. So we have here. Uh, in- also, just one one thing for the sake we're doing live stuff is like, um, if you have any questions, we are going to round out with like Q&A and chat and stuff. So yeah, like, we'll stick around for about an hour We or will so. explain everything going on uh, and, any, uh, and anyone else who has questions later on. But... For now, we're just worrying about, like, having a fun podcast. It's not going to be fun, mate. In January... Later, maybe I can bring up the mood with mine. In January 2005, the Freedom of Information Act 2000 came into force, allowing members of the public to request disclosure of information from public bodies. One early request came from journalist um, uh, John Unger-Thomas, another request came from journalist and Freedom of Information campaigner Heather Brook. Both asked for details of the expenses claimed by certain MPs to be released. The request was subsequently passed over to the Information Commissioner, who joined the journalist cases together and ordered the release of some information. Um, the House of Commons authorities objected to this order for reasons that will become abundantly clear in about 10 minutes. Yeah, like, it's weird, isn't it, when politicians all of a sudden like don't want their business to be public, well, even Lucas. though, you know, they are public yeah. servants. No, Lucas is like, they have it here, look. The House of Commons authorities objected to this order in 2007, and the MPs had, in May, a vote in favour of the Freedom of Information Amendment Bill, which sought to exempt MPs from the Act. The House of Commons voted 96 to 25 in favour of the exemption. So not only is it like, <laughs> please show us how corrupt you are, it's like, we don't want to. But, but also we're going to try and change the law to make sure we don't have to. And this is why this story is so hilarious. It's so nakedly transparent what they were trying to do. And doesn't this feel exactly like what happened now and two years ago yep. and three years ago and four years ago? Like, it's just on a loop. 
So he says here that um, the bill was ultimately withdrawn prior to a second reading in the House of Lords because peers were unwilling to sponsor the bill. In February 2008, after referral to an information tribunal, it was held that the Commons authorities would have to release the information of 14 MPs. The decision was subsequently appealed against. Again, why? As you said, the, the literal job title is public servant using like, public yeah, money. That's the thing, right? Because you know, if someone was like, well, I, I paid for a hotel and a meal deal and a couple of drinks at the bar while I was down in London to go do my job. Fair enough. So I think that's that's all it could be, right? Yeah. So basically what they did is they like, you know, just flip-flopped in court for a, a year and a half until a newspaper just like paid for information to get leaked. <laughs> so we have pre-publication controversy. So prior to the Daily Telegraph revelations in May and June of 2009, so that's when they got their leaks, hmm. the official publications of expenses claimed in June 2009, during the Freedom of Information cases, there were a variety of exposés that covered the controversial John Lewis list, a list considered to indicate the amounts that could be claimed without question. So that was like a thing. But would you like to hear like a couple of examples? I mean, I just want to get to the point where like... Uh, reasonably the list of things that should like go without question is like a fiver anything under a fiver yeah well that's the thing like we like you know i've been told this um uh, like when for my business for, mm -hmm. for travel it's like no one's gonna sniff like 50 quid for travel like here and there for a train ticket because that's what a train ticket costs if you start trying to put through five grand they'll start to query it but like, it's this thing of like it's not worth the cost it'd be to investigate to give yeah. you these masses. Like, like, why all of a sudden have you got £200 worth of travel this month? It's like, probably because they got a couple of train tickets to London, it's fine. Like, you're wasting time by checking every single receipt. So here's the thing about, this is why they have those lists. But, like, the amounts were quite extreme. But we have a few examples here. Tony Blair, former Prime Minister's expenses were shredded by mistake when they were the subject of a legal bid to have them published. It's, it's funny that, like, they happen to get shredded by, by mistake, mis but also just at the right time as well. By mistake, Conservative Derek Conway was alleged in May 2007 to pay his son, a student at the time, using public, son, uh, public funds despite little evidence of his son having done the work he was supposed to do. I mean, a second case a year later found he overpaid with regard to his other son. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you want to be the other son who didn't get paid as much as your brother? <laughs> Chairman of the Conservative Party, you'll notice a theme here, folks at home. Caroline Spellman was alleged in 2008 to have paid for her nanny out of parliamentary expenses during her early years. An allegation that became known as Nannygate. Oh, that's what Nannygate was. Okay. I remember hearing the term Nannygate, but, like, you know, wasn't sure that was just some anime weeb shit. Nope. It's, um, she said that she, her defence was that she didn't know. She didn't know it was against the rules, Lucas, to pay someone for, like, you know, stuff that um, the money wasn't allocated and, for. like, you know, the thing would be if we had a better childcare system in place. Like, I would argue that, like, you know, employees should get help towards childcare, etc., etc., but that's not the case. And therefore, like, you know, you should be held accountable to, like, what everyone else has to put up with. Oh, but we've got more, Luke. It's married couple and Labour cabinet ministers, Ed Balls, so that's it, and Yvette Cooper from Pontefract, my hometown, um, were accused in September 2007 of exploiting the Commons' allowance system to pay for a £655,000 house in London. I thought you were going to say 655 quid of something. The claim was dismissed since it was ruled that the couple had acted in accordance with parliamentary law. So they got a half million pound house for free, paid for by the public. 
Married Conservatives MP Sir Nichols and Lady Winterton, oh, she clearly needs the money, were accused in 2008 of claiming back mortgage interest on a mortgage they had already repaid on a flat they owned in London and then had also placed the flat in a trust and claimed for the rent on it. It was held, it was held that there was a clear breach of rules, but no repayment was requested. So just, you know, a, just a don't do it again. Don't do it again. Yeah. Don't sorry. claim two properties on taxpayers' money again. Labour Home please. Secretary Jackie Smith was stated to have claimed for a main home by designating it as a second home while identifying her main home as a location where she spent as little as two days a week. And despite having also access to a Grace and Favour home in Westminster, it's like a free place for like, MPs mm-hmm. to stay, like a hotel. Maybe so she... when they've got a free place to stay, like a hotel that they shouldn't be allowed to claim any of their own fucking homes. Because here's the thing as well, like a lot of the like scandal revolved around the fact a lot of MPs were claiming for second homes, mm-hmm. which they could theoretically do, but the second homes were in London, where housing prices are so extortionate, they were essentially getting, like here, a London flat, which would set you back about three, four hundred thousand pounds for a bad one. Mm-hmm. And they were getting that for free pay by the taxpayer and then renting it out. For, like, and like, f- not only just getting free property, but then getting free, like, money on top of that because they were renting out. And then claiming back the interest on the... It's it's insane. Labour Minister also, she was pointing out, um, Jackie Smith did not have to undergo an inquiry because it was discovered that there was little or there was not sufficient evidence for an inquiry. Oh, okay. Even though she admitted it. She admitted it. Labour Minister Tony McNulty admitted claiming expenses for a second home in Harrow, eight miles from his main home in Hammersmith, and asserted that they were appropriate but ceased claiming the allowances because nothing says that I think I'm right than immediately stopping doing the thing that you're doing that, the moment it's discovered. I'm not in the wrong, but I am going to immediately stop doing it. Um, so then we have like the information, and it's discovered by the Daily Telegraph. Okay. In May 2009, two months prior to the official disclosure of full expenses claims, the Daily Telegraph expl- uh, obtained a full copy of all expenses claimed. The Telegraph began publishing in installments. You remember this? This was so fun. Um, like in instalments, uh, certain MPs' expenses. The Telegraph justified the publication of the information because it contended that the official information due to be released would have omitted key information. Because when they did try and release the f- official stuff, they cut out a bunch of things like paying for second homes. Yeah, like oh yeah, yeah. Here's the the Mackies that I bought. Don't worry, that's not, that was everything. It was everything. It wasn't. A second house, don't worry. The information in the leaks published by The Telegraph originated from the Parliamentary Fees Office and been offered to other newspaper organisations for around £150,000, which you'll notice is less money than a single MP managed to swindle off the um, uh, the public. And they dis- and the, they were happy to pay it, saying that it was spent in the public interest. I think it definitely was. And, like, just the fact that so much of this so far has been, like... And then they stopped and walked away with everything they claimed for. Well, here we go, though. So, areas of abuse. So, there are some specific areas of abuse that you know, we need to be um, uh, on the, uh, the lookout for. So, nominating second homes. The Green Book states that the location of your main home will normally be a matter of fact. MPs and peers able to ensure their second home was one which enabled them to claim more expenses. At least one case, um, Margaret Moran was nominated home was near neither near neither her, contis- her constituency, where she's like, you know, been... In but, charge of, yeah. Or Westminster, where she'd be doing work. So she managed to get a home somewhere else, in the, like basically paying for a summer home in Brighton or something like that. Yeah. Redesignating second homes. MPs were able to repeatedly switch the designation of their second home, enabling them to claim for purchasing, e.g. stamp duty, renovation and furnishing more than one property at once. So all you have to do is, like, when you've got three houses, you just claim... I live here. I live... I, this is my second house. 
redo the entire house, renovate it all, refurnish it, and then move your second house to another one that and, you Yeah, want and then room. obviously, because of my new house, I need to get a new office, I need to mm-hmm. get new furniture, as opposed to my parliamentary duties. And then what they do after that is they'd sell the house. So they get it all up, get it all done up, get your conservatory, get a new kitchen, on a taxpayer's expense, sell it. You can just like... I you can, can feel, feel it. You can feel it. Just seething. Renting out second homes. MPs are able to claim for their second home while they were in fact renting their other homes out. In most cases, rented homes were, and I quote, third properties. Keep in mind this is the same government that's been stopping I just people. want one property, Carl. <laughs> that's all I want. I just want a house. Can I but claim it on Big Wangers? In at least one case, um, Elliot Morley, MP, his second home was rented out to another MP who was claiming the rent on expenses. Oh, my fucking God. It's like an aerobarous of shit. Oh. Think about the balls. The balls to do. And think as well, folks at home, this was all legal. Nobody got in trouble. Legal. No one got in trouble. Overclaiming for council tax. Several MPs were able to round up the actual amount due by claiming for 12 monthly instalments where only 10 were due, claiming up to £250 per month with no receipt required until those rules were changed. So just like, you know, a free extra £500 a year. And bear in mind, £250 is way more council tax than most people have to pay. Yeah, but that's like, because it's got to account for that it might be in London. Hmm. Um, subsidising property development. The Green Book rules that MPs could not claim for repairs beyond making good dilapidations. So, like, dilap- like, you know, if your house is, like, falling apart, your front door... Yeah, if you've got mould in your house or something, but if you want a duck moat, that's also OK. But they were not enforced, and consequently, MPs were able to add significantly to the value of a property. Um, by implication, some second homes were effectively businesses, not homes. They were renovated on expenses and then rapidly sold. So, yeah, use the taxpayer's money to renovate second homes that you've got while claiming it on expenses, like that house on expenses as well, mm-hmm. and then sell it off for profit, and then assumedly go and buy another property to rinse and repeat. Then we have evading tax and inappropriate attempts at avoiding tax. MPs either evade a tax or inappropriately deem themselves not required to pay tax on reimbursements because they were li- largely allowed to decide for themselves whether or not they should pay for tax. That's always like it. Don't you think the thing is that I, don't, I should pay tax? Can you imagine like, if you sent a letter to the government about I don't think I owe tax I, on my I've house. decided I don't take, pay tax and I've also decided that that's okay. Yeah, so then we have claiming expenses while living in grace and favour homes. So grace and favour homes are just, these are houses like either owned by the government or like, another MP. Mm-hmm. You stay in that when you're doing your parliamentary duties. But if you do that, you're not allowed to have a second home. They did that whilst also having a second home that they would then rent out for money. I just I don't understand how many times, like... Uh, obviously we saw it um, in America not long ago as well with like oh, the Trump impeachment and stuff but why is it always like the government have done something wrong but it's up to the government to decide whether they've done something wrong we've it's got like... more here, are you ready? renovating and furnishing properties when standing down MPs wrote a claim for renovations of furniture even when they'd already announced their intention Fucking to resign hell. furnishing other homes MPs wrote a claim for items of furniture that were actually delivered to somewhere other than their second home so, i.e., I'm just going to buy my mum a TV and charge it to the British taxpayer. Exploiting the no-receipt rule. MPs submitted a large number of claims just below £250, the ceiling under which they were not required to produce a receipt. So that's like, you know, i got a train to give. Yeah. But they'd always like, and there's that thing of like, and I think one of the things they looked at is, the rule was £250. Like, and the, all of them were like £249. 249 and it's like, nothing looks more suspicious than, well, you bought... 
All of your, like, you know, staff meals cost exactly £249. Like, you went into Tesco and bought one meal deal that cost 249 quid. Overclaiming for food. Under a rule permitting up to £400 for food each month. 400. Without receipts, MPs were simply able to claim the whole £400 every month, even when Parliament wasn't sitting. Keep in mind, like, that's the thing, how much the food price has gone up now? I mean, a lot. Yeah. A shit ton. Like, £400 is pretty much, like, my groceries for the month. Mm -hmm. And you can claim it for free every month. That, you know, for me and my partner and Caden, that, like, that's ridiculous. And that's when now, that's, we're talking now, not, like, 2008, where food cost half the amount. Jesus fucking Christ. That, and when you're not even turning up for your job. No, yeah, when you're not work. When you're not. Working when Parliament's not even sitting, you're still like, yeah, but pay me, fuck you. Mm-hmm. And let's let's all bear in mind they already get very good salaries. Are you ready? For, uh, it's um, eighty-eight thousand pounds a year. I don't know what it was back in two thousand eight, but it, yeah, it says like, about eighty-eight thousand oh, pounds okay, a year. Fucking hell. But if you factor in the amount of money they were getting in expenses, they're like, you know, their actual like take-home money was close like, to one hundred. They had no pounds. outgoings because yep. everything was expensed. And then, source of information. This is a funny one. A former SAS officer called John Wick was the owner of a London-based risk management company. I'd, I'd trust that. To, to be fair, I, w- I wouldn't have a bad word to say about him. Yeah, he, an SAS officer. You can get away with it. <laughs> he was the guy. He acted as a mediator for the actual whistleblower and said that um, uh, he did so because he believed the information should be given to the public. And he's like, he's um, turned down like all requests to provide his source. It's like, I don't think you're going to argue. Or man- <laughs> I don't think you're going to manage to get information out of a former SAS commander. Out of John Wick. Called John Wick. <laughs> oh, media handling. In May 2009, major newspapers such as The Times described the resulting controversy as Parliament's darkest day. Keep in mind as well, there was a time in British history where someone tried to blow up Parliament. Like, Guy Fawkes tried to blow up Parliament, and this was seen like as been worse. It was a full-blown political crisis, and reporting upon cross-party firings and resignations, and an exodus of shamed MPs. But, it's okay, but his thing is, though, Lucas, like, public interest in the expenses rate led to the 14th of May, 2009 edition of the BBC Political Time and Current Affairs television programme, Question Time, recording its highest viewing figures. <laughs> and... If you've ever watched that, I uh, wouldn't recommend watching it because all it is is MPs going, look, we need it. And that's where you get Mm. the amazing Derek Dimbleby um, uh, shitpost in real life of. There's an MP talking about, look, you don't know how difficult it is to be an MP. You have to wake up every morning and go to Parliament and he just goes, you mean like a job? (laughs) And just the entire crowd starts whooping and shit like an episode of Jerry Springer and the MP's trying to talk over him. It's like, no, like a fucking... And he's trying to argue like, I have to get up Every other day, at least noon, and go into Parliament for free. And it's like they're trying to act like they're so hard done by. It's uh, it's that Wayne Rooney tweet in it. Of just like the, you don't know how tough it is. I have to get up and eat pasta at 6am. Okay, so Wayne Rooney is a football. He was paid at his peak like £150,000 a week. And one time I just tweeted out, you guys don't know how difficult it is to be a footballer. I have to get up at 6am every morning and eat three bowls of pasta. And just the top response was, Wayne, for what you get paid a week, I'd wake up every morning and shove it up my ass." <laughs> but don't worry, Lucas, like, we have Nadine Doris, a Conservative MP, 
criticised the Telegraph's handling, which he described as picking off a few MPs each day. Emailing at noon, giving five hours to reply, recording the conversation, not allowing them to speak, telling them they're going to publish anyway. I like that. Do you know what? I think it's really good that every now and again an MP's got a fucking sweat. <laughs> she's like, she's cr- basically what she's criticising them is that they didn't have a chance to quash it before it came out. It's like, yeah, good. Just fuck them. And then we have impact. So we're going to read the impact. And then we've got one more heading I think we should cover. Okay. So a widespread public reaction was heightened as a result of several factors. Of course, yeah. Um, especially, you know, it, the incident broke in the face of an economic recession and global financial crisis mm. upon an already unpopular government that has been in power for the last 15 years. Political response. The following publications of expenses caused politicians from all parties responded to the controversy. Gordon Brown, the Prime Minister at the time, had to apologise <laughs> on behalf of all politicians to the Royal College of Nursing. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like that's the thing. Like, excuse me, they did this when they were like slashing wages for public servants, yeah. like nurses and shit. I'm glad we're over that, right? David Cameron, the leader of the opposition, said that all MPs should apologise for the expensive scandals. Shortly thereafter, the Telegraph published the claims of members of the Shadow Cabinet, <laughs> which included David Cameron. Yeah, yeah. Cameron also admitted that the existing system was wrong, and we're sorry about it. The following day, Cameron said that some of the claims made were unethical and wrong, and imposed new rules. I like the idea of like David Cameron coming out. He's like, all these people should be ashamed of themselves. It's like, myself included, but we should all be ashamed. And all the interviews in this time period are fucking infuriating. Mm-hmm. Because all it is is people are saying, look, you don't understand. He's like, look, we need it to do our jobs. And it's like, but while they're cutting like public spending and stuff. While like they that. had like triple a nurse's salary and could expense everything they do. It's like, God. Yeah, I love how I was like the police and tax but are you ready though so there's a, there's one final section I want to cover because I just think it's it's quite apt given it's a, a wiki week days mm-hmm. MPs accused of editing their own Wikipedia oh, pages because no. of course oh, no. they all like, like oh shit I'm going to go on Wikipedia this looks bad I'm going to change I'm going to edit my own page to get rid of the controversy so in May 2010 it was reported in the Daily Telegraph that a number of MPs and their staff had been caught attempting to edit their personal Wikipedia pages to remove references to their expenses claims Wikipedia staff found that a number of IP addresses associated with the parliamentary estate had been attempting to remove potentially embarrassing information surrounding MPs' expenses claims from their Wikipedia profiles. This sounds like like a, a 14-year-old kid in school got caught doing something wrong. It's, oh, dear. And just, Lucas, while well, I'm just going to find a list of like you know, the funnier expense claims, just some, mm-hmm. some specific answer end all. thoughts on that? Um... I mean, I, I just generally my my thinking in life is fuck the Tories, but just fuck politicians in general, like absolute bunch of scumbags. And I always say like, you know, to to people and that I don't understand like why people in power are like so awful and corrupt. And I think it's like you have to be an awful, slimy person to even think about being a politician in the first place. Oh, yeah, because it's that thing, it's like... 99% of the so time. So, think about our current Prime Minister. He's married to a almost... I think, is she a billionaire, or she's worth, like, half a billion dollars? I think it's, like, her family is, like, has an estate worth billions. And, and he's, like, oh... And he's, for, even though his wife's worth billions, he's, like, passing rules that allow his wife... To like make a little bit more money, it's like she's already a fucking like you've won. It's like sentai millionaire. Just stop. 
But do you know what I've got now on Wikipedia a list of specific expense claims? Okay. So we'll start with the Labour Party. Gordon Brown, the Prime Minister. So the Prime Minister, he went all the way to the top. Led- do you think, like, who do you think when we mention former Prime Minister is going to be, like, worse in your brain? Is it going to be Gordon Brown or is it going to be Liz Truss? Like, which one got thrust the power of the country upon them even worse? I don't know, but um, Gordon Brown allegedly paid his brother in excess of £6,000 for cleaning services. What the fuck was he cleaning? I don't know. Um, but we the do shit know. out of his ass. I and hope. then he claimed for the same plumbing repair bill twice. Down issue, it's one of that saying that Brown paid his brother, who in turn paid the cleaner, as the cleaner worked for them both, but preferred not to be paid by a single person for national insurance reasons. So I gave my brother the money, and then he used the money. So I, I gave him £6,000 of public money, and trust me, I know what he did with it. Tony Blair, former Prime Minister, claimed £6,000 for roof repairs. He had submitted the invoice um, uh, twice. Of course. Like, that's one thing, isn't it? Is like, my house is falling apart. I need roof repair. It's like, it's shitty, but I, you know, that, that should be paid for by the salary that the country gives you. Yeah, John Prescott. But like, claiming it twice. Claiming yeah. it twice. John Prescott, former Deputy Prime Minister, reports of claim £312 for fitting mock Tudor beams to his constituency home and for two new toilet seats in as many years. He has not responded to any of the claims. Also, I don't know if it was a small audio cut or if it's just the silence that me and Carl had of just being ashamed David and angry. David Miliband claimed um, in excess of £30,000 for repairs, decorations and furnishings for his family home in South Shields. Jack Straw um, admitted to using expenses to claim full council tax bill despite only paying a 50% tax rate. Straw said he acted in good faith and repaid the erroneous the erroneous claims when he was made aware that expenses MPs were going to be made public. Oh, he did, did he? It's very kind of him, isn't it? I think he's very nice. When he realised he only paid half tax, he's like, no. When he found out they were going to be made public, he's like, fuck. Because when you started that sentence, I was like, wait, someone actually paid something back, and it's oh, because it was going to go public, right? Oh, okay. Might have actually been an audio call. Margaret Moran um, claimed okay. £22,000 for treating dry rot in her coastal property in Southampton, 100 miles away from her constituency and a two-hour drive from Westminster, just days after making it her designated second home. Moran responded by saying she had done nothing against the rules and needed the Southampton property to maintain her family life. It's not the fact that you're not breaking the rules, it's the fact that the rules were fucking awful. The rules were so shockingly in your favour. Well, Lucas, um, appearing on the politics show on the 10th of May, she was asked straight up, why should taxpayers pay for your home in Southampton when you are not using it for work? She responded that such arrangements were necessary in order for MPs to have a proper family life. She insisted that there was nothing wrong with her three-home arrangement and argued that MPs should have third homes away from London or their constituency where they can relax with their partners and that would be able to, that would make them more able MPs. Existing in your constituency doesn't mean you're actively on your job at all also times. Also that like absolute like shit talk about my constituents. I don't want to live in the place I'm supposed to represent. Mm-hmm. I can't relax there. Um, I don't know if we've stated whether the all Labour or no, just general. These are all these are all Labour. Oh, these are all Labour. Okay. And we have um, Elliot Morley, well, sort of Scunthorpe, where I used to live, continued claiming mortgage and interest on his constituency home, selling over sixteen thousand pounds over eighteen months after the loan had been repaid. He said in response, "I have made a mistake." 
Do you want to move on to the conservative? Because that's the thing, it goes. It goes on lock. It Jesus. just, it goes. And for anyone wondering, like, why we are reading off phones, it's like, so, so that can't I can't see. see on the computer screen when we're recording in person, like, just, we like to surprise each other with what's coming. And I think as well, you'll notice, like, the difference in, like, Labour MPs, who generally come from working class, like, um, constituencies, and uh, conservative ones. Because the first one we have here is Michael Ancrum, conservatives, said to have claimed expenses for servicing his swimming pool's boiler. It's one thing, like, council tax. Then it's like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry, your, your swimming pool's going to be cold. Uh, and he said that he um, agreed to repay the £98 boiler servicing claim, but maintained that none of the none of the items were extravagant or luxurious. The boiler for his swimming pool <laughs> that, was not <laughs> exorbitant or extravagant. That's the thing. Paying for boiler repair is definitely not extravagant, but that's a boiler for, for your swimming fucking pool. swimming pool. Well, speaking of which, um, James um, uh, Arbuthnot, a conservative for North East Hampshire, reports a claim for maintenance on the swimming pool at his constituency home. Gregory Barker, shadow energy and climate change um, uh, minister slash um, uh, conservative, sold a London flat which he had purchased using expenses for a profit of £327,000. It says here that the newspapers have failed to take into account that he had invested a significant amount of his own money. Keep in mind he's paid by the public. Yeah. Bill Cash, very fittingly named, a conservative Bill Cash. for Stone. Money, money. Was, his name is Money, money. Was reported um, to have claimed £15,000, which he then paid to his daughter, a prospective conservative candidate, as rent for a Notting Hill flat when he had his own flat a few miles away. A few miles he defended these expenses by saying it was within the rules, and it was only for a year. Cool. I wish, wish like my dad could have just rented me a flat for a year for free on the Cheryl Gillian, money. Shadow Welsh Secretary, and also our like um, like the opposition party of the Shadow Cabinet. I wish they were like you know not as evil. Because I think they like claimed. Are you ready, Lucas? Four pound forty-seven worth of pet food. Okay. When she's on 150 grand a year. Because I think that's the, the, the thing. The, well. the thing of, the tiny thing of like, can you not afford this on like your luxurious paycheck? Like Once again, reminding people they are on a good wage already. Michael Gove, Shadow Children's School and Family Secretary. Really? That guy looks after kids. Probably shouldn't. Like fucking Skeletor. Claimed £7,000 for furnishing a London property before flipping it. Um, to, uh, flipping his designated home to a second house, a property which he claimed another £13,000. Of course, yeah. He claimed for a cot mattress, despite children's items being banned under Commons rules. Oh, he claimed a what? Uh, a cot. I thought you said he claimed for a cock mattress. Cock mattress. <laughs> I was like, yeah, maybe he shouldn't be around children. The cock mattress guy. <laughs> Here's the one that you remember though, Lucas. Douglas Hogg, Conservative. Allegedly claimed £2,100 to have the moat at his country estate cleaned. His fucking moat! He had a moat! And also for piano tuning in the gardener, he emphatically denied the claim, saying, I have never claimed for a moat or piano tuning. The allegation is incorrect. I mean, like, maybe we shouldn't be giving these jobs to people that live on estates with moats. Just in, in general... Maybe they shouldn't be serving the public like interest. Bernard Jenkins, Conservative, reported to have paid £50,000 in expenses in order to pay rent on a property that he was using his constituency home. The property was owned by his sister. 
He claimed that the rent was an honest and reasonable amount for the property. £50,000 a year in rent. Where the fuck's he living? The Hilton. <laughs> like that, and it just it goes on and on and on and on and on. David McLean, conservative. He spent more than £20,000 improving a farmhouse before selling it for three quarters of a million pounds. He did not pay um, uh, any uh, tax on it. Michael Spicer, um, said to have claimed the cost of hanging a chandelier in his main manor house. Just that every word in that sentence, Carl. He also included um, uh, paying a gardener to cut a hedge into the shape of a helipad. Conservative Anthony Steen claimed more than £87,000 over four years for maintenance and upkeep of his country estate. Since the revelation, Steen has announced that he will not be standing in the next general election. He also claimed on the BBC's The World at One radio programme that people were very jealous because he has a very large house. Peter Vigors, Conservative Gospel, and here's the other really famous one that we can end on, mm. claimed £20,000 in gardening expenses and £1,645 for... Do you know what this is, Lucas? No. This, this is the most famous one. A no. duck house. Okay, so I'm conflating two things because I thought he was. I I remember ducks and moats. One guy I, got I his was moat cleaned. They were the same thing of like he had a moat with ducks in it or something. But the duck house, yeah. And then just this one because I think it sums up how sad they were. Um, David Willett claimed £100 for workmen to replace 25 light bulbs in his second home. When queried, he said that a workman was required because it was very dangerous work. Fuck my life. You know, like, I live in a rented property, and generally speaking, like, if it's any of, like, the, you know, the, the lights that are, like, properly fitted into the yeah. ceiling or anything, I get annoyed because I have to put a call out in to my estate agent to be like, can you get someone to come and replace a light bulb? Yeah. I get infuriated by that, and this guy's like, nah, man. But, like, what's also, a- why 25, like, I don't. Why do you need 25 light bulbs? Well, it's more the fact, think about how big your house is if you've got 25 That's what bulbs. I mean, yeah. yeah. Like, Well, apart from in this house where, like, for some reason... My There's bathroom, no light bulbs. No, no, my bathroom just for some reason has, like, 18 light bulbs fitted in there and I don't know why. But, yeah, that was the, um, the UK parliamentary expenses scandal. And I think just more than anything... So the fact as well, it was literally, there wasn't a single MP who had not done it. And that's what made it so mm, funny. Yeah. Because it was one of those amazing, surreal experiences to live through. Because, like, when it happened, obviously, they started with the Labour Party because they were in charge at the time. And then, like, you know, Conservatives, like, oh, this is all terrible. Can't believe the d- next day Conservatives. Dragging him through the dirt, like, screaming it, and hollering at them. And then fucking it was fucking Westminster. phenomenal. It was, in- it was incredible. How dare they do this to us? And then it's like, yeah, you claimed on your moat. And it's important to know that nothing changed and no one got in trouble. No one had to pay back anything. Some of them, they did, but you know what the best bit is? Some of them got to claim it back. Because that's the thing, like, you know... It's an expense, just, you know. And all that was taxpayer money, everyone. Everyone's money. You know, then the Conservatives got in charge and like continued to like slash all public services. Yeah. But, uh... Yeah! yeah. I'm just going to do one thing, by the way, I'm just going to, just so I can sync up stuff, uh, now that we've got a nice breaking point, and I remember, didn't do that at the start. Breaking point is pretty accurate there, isn't it? Of like, I, I think am at breaking point I could right see now. you just in the reflection of the thing, and just like, every, like, are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? So, yeah, keep that in mind, folks at home, like, if you think this wiki won this week. Right, Lucas, hopefully you brought something that I'm, is... I'm bringing something that maybe we should bring to Parliament. 
Okay. I'm going to bring up Mortal Kombat. <laughs> just gonna, we're going to put Mortal Kombat. <sighs> Maybe so, some of these MPs should like just get fucking fatalityed. Let's just say that. So yeah, I am talking about uh, Mortal Kombat, and we are talking about the original Mortal Kombat game. I mean, Mortal Kombat One that's got announced. Mortal Kombat One just yeah. got announced. Yeah, so that's the one you're talking about. We're talking about Mortal Kombat One, yeah. not Mortal Kombat One the new one, or Mortal Kombat One the movie, or Mortal Kombat One the movie, new movie, Mortal Kombat One the video game from the nineties. Okay, so I actually know quite a bit about the creation of Mortal Kombat. It's just it's it was fun. Yeah, I think we probably both know quite a bit about this, so I figured, A, it'll make a nice discussion, a nice mm-hmm. timely discussion for once. Um, Depending on when this goes out. Well, it goes out right now because we're live, Carl. Perfect. <laughs> so there we go. We don't have a chance for this to get messed up. Um, but yeah, we're going to talk about it. It's 1992, so it's as old as I am. Yeah, you're as old as Mortal Kombat. I just figured, you know, that means that like maybe we can have a nice discussion or maybe the audience will learn a lot. But like... For, for us two, we probably are aware of a lot yeah. of the stuff that um, has gone on. So it's MP versus MK. It is MP versus MK. And that's the thing, we don't plan these, by the way. Me and Lucas, we always have a list of things we're going to talk about. And like, the idea is we want to bounce off each other and get like, you know, that genuine surprise, frustration, laughs yeah. and stuff like that. And that's like, that's the thing is, I because I picked a more timely thing and we had no theme for this week either, mm-hmm. we were just going chaos mode. I was like... There's a chance that Carl could also bring Mortal Kombat here. No, no, no. I was because we were talking about it earlier, and I went, "Oh, there's a great Wikipedia page on that." So I, I, mm-hmm. I scuttled my uh, expected <laughs> one for this week and picked that instead. Uh, so Mortal Kombat, the original game, spawned a franchise with several action adventure game, a comic book series, a card game, films, an animated TV series, and a live action tour. Yeah, is there like, anything that's more baffling the fact that Mortal Kombat? I think released like three open world action games, but only one of them centered around Scorpion. Yeah. And they did like the Mortal Kombat, like um, where Shaolin Monks, where it's like Liu Kang and um, Kung Lao. Kung Lao, right, okay. And they had like Scorpion in that as like a playable bonus character, but then they had the other one, which was Special Forces. Yeah, because that was like the fuck you, we're going to knock on you and kill you all. Yeah. Um,. So, yeah, Mortal Kombat has become the best-selling fighting game franchise worldwide yeah. and has become one of the highest-grossing media franchises of all time with the caveat that Mortal Kombat has sold way more because it's had a lot of games, whereas Super Smash Bros. Ultimate is the highest-selling fighting game of all time yeah. now. But, like, Mortal Kombat always does gangbusters, and it's because, mm-hmm. like, you know, people come for the law, or they come for the gore, they stay for the law. <coughs> oh, dear. I know. Just my throat died. I inhaled something, but um, yeah, I remember like listening to podcasts and people from IGN saying like when Mortal Kombat nine, ten, and eleven were all coming out, every Mortal Kombat article and fatality show off and all the uh, like the highest view things on the, the website always like, does the best. Yeah, always does the best because yeah, I say the the law and the gore keep people coming back. People love Mortal Kombat, and I don't, I kind of don't know how because like. The mid-stretch that they had between, like, MK3 and MK9, I don't know how that didn't bury the series dead. It's because, even though they were very bad from a gameplay perspective, they were still pretty good fun. Like, more, like, Mm. Shaolin, like, Deception and Armageddon and Annihilation, like, they weren't on Annihilation, it was Armageddon, 
Deception and Deadly Alliance weren't great mechanically. They were fun. Right. Okay. That's thing. They were fun. Like from a. So I didn't play any of those ones. I played like a little bit of Mortal Kombat trilogy as a kid because like I wasn't allowed to have Mortal Kombat as a kid. But you always know that one friend that has it. Yeah. So I got to go play at their house. Like, you know, fair enough because that game had brutal fatalities, and I was as old as the games were. Yeah. So it does make sense, and that's fair enough. But I've never really got into it when I heard all these bad games were coming out on the like PS2 and stuff. And, and then you know, they're only bad because, like, yeah. you no, know, it's the gift of hindsight. When they first came out, like I said they did gangbusters when they were released. It's mm. The few like flaccid releases they had were things like Mortal Kombat, like Special Forces. That nearly killed the franchise, and it more than anything just killed off spin-off games. Yeah, not so much the mainline series. And the, why that's so frustrating is because. That means they killed Mortal Kombat Fire and Ice, which is the proposed sequel to Shaolin Monks, where it's Scorpion and something. Yeah, yeah, of course. And um, yeah, like maybe Carl. Uh, no, actually, we're, we're, I was going to say maybe you can grab my Scorpion and Sub Zero little Funkos, but we're quite crammed we in are, here. Yes, yes, yes. We are penned in by my L-shaped desk, like we have become the L. Um, Hold this. But I was just going to like you know show them off for fun. But we can't we can't do props because we're squeezed into a desk apparently. We are. But what is your favourite Mortal Kombat character? Sub Zero. Yeah. It's yeah. A, it's always Scorpion or Sub Zero. He's, he's the coolest. He's literally, he's literally the, coolest. the coolest. I did quite like um, Cassie Cage in like as in terms of the new roster of characters. Like yeah, like the because the Mortal Kombat had that era of just jobbers mm-hmm. of like, and I think the way I've heard it's the only one who managed to squeak out was Ken Shi. Because like, do you remember? Cobra. No. Do you remember Tavon? Wait, where's Kenshi from? I thought that was like MK3. He's No, he's from uh, Mortal Kombat Deadly Alliance, I think. Oh, cool. Yeah, like, Kenshi's awesome. He's the only like th- like 3D era Mortal Kombat character that made it in because you had like, yeah, um, uh, like, you know, Cobra and Tavon and Dagon and all that shit. It's like, oh, it's not was, great. There was a couple of questionable MK10 and 11 characters that I was like, Oh, this new character's awful, and someone was like, "No, that that's an old character." Yeah. I was like, "Oh, okay, yeah." And then there was um, I can't remember what they were called, but there was the like the big person with the little one on the Ther- back, Ferator. Yeah, I quite liked that, but no, it was very annoying to play online against. Just the like, um, the, the voice lines, yeah. Hmm? Just Ashley Birch, Ashley Birch in it up. I didn't actually know it was Ashley Birch. I think it's either Ashley Birch or Tara Strong. It's, it's one, of the, one, of, one of the two. The two women who do small child characters <laughs> in video games. Um, but we'll move on. Uh, you know, the series has a reputation for high levels of graphic violence, including most na- notably its fatalities, which are finishing moves that the defeated opponents, it, that kill the defeated opponents instead of knocking them out. Mm-hmm. We are a couple of drinks in, so reading off a little phone is getting a bit harder. Um, you should do it that classic thing where you read it with one eye. <laughs> you had a drink and you try to text someone. Like um, controversy surrounding Mortal Kombat in part led to the creation of the ESRB, yep. which is the Entertainment Software Rating Board, and that was notable alongside um, Frame Trap, Night Trap, uh, Night Trap, which we've covered, um, which we have talked about before, and you know both of those were two of the like, big examples of video games going too far and needing to be censored. And it's arguable that if we'd not had Mortal Kombat, we wouldn't have or or Night Trap, we wouldn't have had that rating system. Mm-hmm. It's like one game alone could have been, oh, this one violent game, we just banned that one when it was two. And like and even though they were presented like kind of unfairly, like Mortal Kombat, yeah, you can murder people. But like mm-hmm. the Night Trap one where they framed it as you are murdering people, it's like, no, you're actually you're protecting them. It's like watching a horror movie and saying like, you know, 
someone gets shot in a horror movie. It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it as we've learned with Carl's wiki this week, if people get the chance to, like, you know, monitor themselves, they generally don't. Yeah. If they can get away with it, they will. And um, I will say, you know, in terms of where we are with Mortal Kombat and its fatalities is... It's too far. It's like I struggle to watch the Mortal Kombat 1 new trailer. Like, that level of, like, photorealism actually, like, when someone's, like, thumbing them through the eyes, it's, like, literally, like, basically at this point, like watching a movie, but there's the violence and level of detail is, like, way higher. I think it's for me is that I like the characters. So then, like, you know, like, say, for example, you have... Jackie Briggs versus Jax Briggs, her dad, and then her dad can just like baseball bat her like, skin off her face. Rip her bones off her body. It's like, just yeah. for me as someone who enjoys the characters in it, it's like I don't really want to see them murder each other. <laughs> yeah, and like, you know, it's one of those as well. When Mortal Kombat eleven, I think it was, came out, there was articles of like how people that were developing the game needed like therapy afterwards and shit because they had how traumatizing the images and videos were that they had to look up to get because yeah fun fact the only way to realistically render a destroyed human body is to go look up footage and pictures of destroyed human bodies so that shit's also fucked right up and it's like you know, I get it when it was, like, the digitised versions of people in, yeah. like, MK1 and, you're like, ripping a skull out and just... It's got a very cartoony, skeletal look. It's the difference between something like Gears of War. I don't when you, like, you hit someone, they just completely glib apart. And it's, yeah, like, it's so, yeah. it's so cartoonishly over the top. Whereas Mortal Kombat, some of it is cartoon and some of it is just, like, really mean. Mm-hmm. It's, like, really mean-spirited. And, you know, that's clearly what makes the franchise popular course, yeah. and it's not going to change. But yeah, it is at a point now where I'm like, maybe, yeah, the friendships might be the answer. It's just like, I love shit like that. Like, the friendships aspect where, you know, if people aren't aware there were games where they added, instead of fatalities, you could, like, kill them with friendship. Yeah, and they're always really fun. They are very fun. Um, But yes, early games in the series were noted for their realistic, digitized sprites, and an extensive use of palette swapping to create brand new characters. It didn't say brand new, it just said new characters. But you said brand new. Brand new characters, Carl. So what? what's your like thoughts and feelings on the palette swaps? Do on you know the ninjas? What, what's the difference between Ryu and Ken? Uh, one's cool. Yeah, but that's the thing, like, Ryu and Ken. What about Gen? What about Akuma? Yeah. What about Dan. Sean? Dan. Um, who's the Is that woman Ru- as well? Uh, Chun Li and Sakura. Oh no, oh, sorry, Sakura. Sakura. Thinking, yeah, and they're all they're all Street Fighter characters who have essentially the same move set with minor variations. I see it as being no different. I mean, fair, but like Ken and Ryu look different. Oh yeah, but like so does Scorpion and Sub Zero. One's yellow, one's blue. <laughs> you can't get more different than no. that. They're different colors. And green and yeah, pink well, that's, and red. That's and... reptile. There's no pink ninja. Uh, Melina. Melina is not a ninja. She is a, a clone of. That's you know. No, I, I I know that she's like Shang Tsung's experiment. That's like um, is. Um, she's also purple. Is she purple? She's right. purple okay. because it's blue. It's the opposite of um, uh, katanas. Blue and purple are the opposite of each other. Like blue with red in it. Okay, okay, but yeah, you know there are yeah every color under the sun has a male or female ninja-esque character, but, like, the actual ninjas, there's, what, like, eight of them or something? A good, yeah, there's a good amount. Because there's, like, noob as well, and the smoke, and... Um, 
human smell. Then you get like the ones that were turned into cyborgs as well, like yeah, Sector Cyrax. Sector, yeah. So yeah, I like I don't mind them. And you know, I think one of my favorite ones is Reptile because of like he's I'm green. sure we'll get into it. Not he's green as fuck. It's not that it's like a the acid spin, but be like the secret character yeah. aspect of Reptile made him super cool. Um, but yeah, I think it was just like a smart way to get around the limitations nice at the time. Yeah. But I'm glad that they've made each one like substantially different over time as they've had the technology to make them all more individual characters and designs. Of course, yeah, and that's like same thing like Ryu and Ken. But I think I think there's more difference between Scorpion and Sub Zero than there is between Ryu and Ken. Like mechanically. With Scorpion and Sub Zero for sure. Yeah. Um I yeah, I think that's where like the strength of it comes in is their move sets were much more differentiated than, you know, any other fighting games, like, you know, similar characters. Uh, the Shoto kind of character. Yeah, it said like Ryu, Ryu and Ken are functionally identical in a lot of the games they appear in, bar like minor aesthetic and um, uh, like mechanical differences. Whereas Scorpion and Sub Zero literally have straight up just opposite palettes and mm-hmm. different moves. Yeah. So I've never had an issue with the palette swaps. Um, and yeah, it says here that following Midway's bankruptcy, Mortal Kombat development team was acquired by Warner Brothers Rip. Yes. And re-established as NetherRealm Studios. So like, the re- like you could tell that Warner Bros. bought them because they're announcing DLC characters in the announcement trailer. That's the thing, is like people pointed out that they've done this for MK9, 10, and 11, but at least they did that when they showed off gameplay trailers. This one was like, here's the announcement CGI trailer. It's like you haven't even shown us what game we're buying yet. And they're saying- no, like, not only pre-order for a character, pre-order for what looks like the main bad guy of the game, which is Shang Tsung, I... which is a throwback to the original game, right? Yeah. Shang Tsung being the... I do like though our friend who the like, bad guy. joked about, oh, it's just in, it's in-universe, Liu Kang's just not allowed and anyone use him. Because <laughs> he's like now made the universe. So yeah, like, it is just a egregious mess that... That's Warner Bros. all over, baby. Like, Warner Brothers just ruined so many games, and that's why... I never ever buy, um, never buy Mortal a... Kombat or Injustice games straight off the bat. Always wait for that Ultimate Edition, like which you know is coming. Yeah, exactly. So like... I've got like I've got Mortal Kombat Eleven, like um, Aftermath with like all the DLC on it. I got Injustice Two. Um, I don't think Shao Kahn's in the. It is. I think it is in the Aftermath one. Um, but yeah, I got Injustice Two when like the gold version came out or whatever, because I just remember like my friend buying all of like the Injustice 1 DLC and being like, I've, I've bought so much of it. And then like a week after the last DLC came out, they announced it's all in like a 40 quid game. Yeah. I'll never forget when I bought the Ultimate Edition of uh, Mortal Kombat X. It's called Mortal Kombat XL. And it says on the front of the box, yeah. comes with every costume. And then you it says it on the box. I remember this, and you were furious because you were like, I opened the game and it told me that I need to play the mobile game to unlock an outfit. Yeah, like, I shit you not, folks at home, the front of the box says, includes every DLC costume. The literal first thing you see before you're allowed to play the game is a bo- bonus pop up that says, play the mobile game to get the exclusive Cassie Cage, like Sub Zero skin. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I just installed it. I paid you all this money. This is the ultimate complete edition. The first thing I'm told is, is a thing you're not allowed unless you give us more money. The literal first fucking thing. (sighs) Oh, I forgot uh, that there was... I'm just scrolling through here because, like, gameplay I think we can skip over because it's it's more combat. It's a fighting game. You you know what you do. You know what 
we're here for. You know what I mean? Like, you know what we're all about. Um, but it did point out that not only did they have friendships that replaced fatalities, or I added two fatalities, there was also babalities, which turned the opponents into babies. Which was added as a direct response to people not liking fatalities. Right, okay, yeah. So yeah, maybe uh, maybe they should add some friendships and babalities into Mortal Kombat 1. The one that I wanted to add in is Harakiris, where you can kill yourself. So Joe, if your opponent's trying to troll you in the screen, mm. just kill yourself and quit. Uh, I, I think that'd be a good idea. Like, if I, you, then it becomes a fight of like. Was that ever a thing? It was in Mortal Kombat Deception, I think. Oh, people right. saying for, with online and how prevalent trolling like, is. Like you can't quit, but you can hurricane. Yeah, so it becomes yeah. like a competition to try and kill yourself for the opponent. Does like the you didn't win. <laughs> like people want to put that in. Um, so I think we no, should go. I think you should click on plot. Okay. Just, and just I'm like scared. No, just scroll. Don't read it <laughs> out. Just scroll down. See how big it is. See how big this section called plot is. Okay, that's not too bad. That's a uh, maybe like a dozen paragraphs or so. But keep in mind as well that the plot of Mortal Kombat they've reset that universe three times. Yeah, I was gonna say bear in mind because that's why I didn't click on plot. Because how deep are they gonna go? Because you've got Mortal Kombat up to like six or something. Armageddon. And then okay, yeah, it's literally Armageddon, isn't it? Yeah, which so, is where they end the universe. And then that Mortal Kombat Nine is Raiden trying to like get out of the Armageddon universe and yep. reboot it. And then he does. And then you've got like Mortal he, Kombat he must not win. Eleven aftermath, which has now reset the universe yes, to again. Mortal Kombat One. And Liu Kang re- now is Liu Kang's now in charge. So it's like yeah, when it gets to the point where the words are. Fire God Liu Kang has reset the universe. It's, I'm out, I'm out. It's like, what the fuck is he doing? Um, Yeah, there were, there were animalities. animalities and stuff like that where, like, Liu Kang turned into a dragon. Was it Liu Kang? He turned into a dragon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, God damn, yeah, like, I'm just... I love the story modes that Netherrealm make, but the actual plot, when you've had to like get three games in and reset again because it's gone that batshit insane. All you need to know is that Mortal Kombat has two characters called Sub-Zero. One of them is like Scorpion's arch nemesis who he wants to kill. The other one is his best friend. (laughs) And they're brothers, and they look exactly the same, and wear the same outfit and have the same name. Uh, and um, I will like just go through a list here of the game. Oh, please, the games. Pl- please read the list of games that we've had. In the, the order- this is maybe the reason why it sold the most amount that any fighting game franchise has. Let's go. Uh, so the release timeline starting in 1992. I'm not going to go through the years of them all. Uh, we've got Mortal Kombat. Yep. Mortal Kombat Two makes sense. Mortal Kombat Three makes sense. Ultimate Mortal Kombat Three. Okay, so okay, already cool. making definitive editions. Uh, so that's, you know, similar to the Super Street Fighter 2 kind of trend and the Turbo and the Championship yeah. Edition. Mortal Kombat Trilogy, which is just all three of them together. Uh, Mortal Kombat Mythologies Sub-Zero. Oh, which is terrible. It sucks so much ass. It sucks <laughs> so much ass. I can't believe I played it. They came out the same year as Mortal Kombat 4, though. Mm-hmm, which so also you did sucks. still have a genuine Mortal Kombat game. That which also sucks. wasn't great. It, it wasn't great. Um... Then Mortal Kombat Gold? I don't remember which one that was. That was the Mortal Kombat 4 reboot for the GameCube? No, for the Dreamcast, I think, which added more characters. Dreamcast as a yep. launch title, yeah. And it had new characters, including um, secret characters from you previous games. You are welcome, Uber Eats. I did enjoy my food. I did too, it was nice. <laughs> that was a nice pizza. Uh, then we have Mortal Kombat Special Forces, mm-hmm. Mortal Kombat Advance, which is, uh, I think, a terrible port of Mortal Kombat on the Game Boy Advance. Yeah. Uh, we have Mortal Kombat Deadly Alliance, Tournament Edition, 
Deception, Shaolin Monks, Armageddon, Armageddon, yeah. Unchained, Ultimate Mortal Kombat, and then Mortal Kombat versus DC Universe. And just bear in mind that all of those games were from 2002 Deadly Alliance to 2008 Mortal Kombat versus DC Universe. And that's what nearly killed the franchise, right? Mortal Kombat yeah. versus DC was like, they thought they were onto a fucking winner with that. And one. to be fair, they were. They just needed to split the game up. Oh, Injustice is fantastic. And then we have a couple of years where they went, oh shit. Yeah, let's let this brand, <laughs> let's do what Assassin's Creed did, like breathe through. Yeah, it. give it a minute, give it a minute after fucking Mortal Kombat versus DC. Where famously, they weren't allowed fatalities. You know, as we mentioned, the main attraction of the series. Because DC characters weren't allowed to get, you know, bullets through their skull and They die. had hero finishers instead. They did. And um, then 2011, we got the reboot, uh, Mortal Kombat. And that was Mortal Kombat 9, like colloquially, but yeah. it's just called Mortal Kombat. Uh, so this means that this is the third Mortal Kombat one. That's so that, coming out soon. Yeah. So how weird is that we had Mortal Kombat 9? Because they called it Mortal Kombat, then called the next one Mortal Kombat 10. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then Mortal Kombat 11, now Mortal Kombat 1. Um, so you had Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat Arcade Collection, Mortal Kombat Complete Edition, and of course, Completers with a K. The balls to call it the Complete Edition. Um, and Arcade Collection with a K. Um, then 2015, Mortal Kombat 10, Mortal Kombat Mobile, and Mortal Kombat XL. And then Mortal Kombat 11, uh, Aftermath, and Ultimate. And now, Again, the balls to like, call it Ultimate, and it's not got everything in it. Yeah, and just Mortal Kombat 1. So we've got literally got Mortal Kombat, the first one, Mortal Kombat, the ninth one, and Mortal Kombat 1. And this is why I didn't click the plot button. <laughs> because what the fuck? Well, to be fair, though, made a lot of games. Yeah, yeah, a lot of money as well, like 80 million plus titles sold, I think, um, which Mostly. is crazy when you think, like, that's what the entire Mortal Kombat, tr- like, you know, all of those games have sold around 80 million, Smash Ultimate has sold, like, 30-something million. On its own. On its own. And on its own. God damn right it has. Um, So Mortal Kombat started development in 1991 with four people, Ed Boon programming, Yep. John Tobias on art and story, John Vogel on graphics, and Dan Forden on sound design. Yeah, because he's the toasty guy, right? Uh, was it Forden that did toasty? I think he's like toasty. I knew one one of the four did the toasty. Yeah, he's the guy in like the purple t-shirt, who, like when you land an uppercut on some stages, because he used to say it when they were doing um, uh, training. Yeah, and I never understood why it's toasty. It's, apparently, it's just they thought it was funny it's that's like, just something he said and they thought an, it was funny it's just an in-joke between like when they were recording and they thought it and then um you know one thing that people like easter egg straight away when mentioning the four developers is uh noob cybot is of course ed boone and john tobias being Back. like boone backwards is noob yeah tobias backwards is cybot um you know i didn't want to miss that one out because i knew that did be, you know that be the people carl um, so, according to Mortal Kombat actors, Richard DeVizio and Daniel Pessina... Yeah, he was Johnny Cage. Um, the first game began as a ninja-themed project by John Tobias, a young new employee at Midway at the time. And uh, and then, as well, um, as Carlos Pessina, however, the pitch to Tobias's Ed Boone was rejected by the management of Midway. Um Midway was approached to create a video game adaptation of Wait. the then upcoming film Universal Blood, Soldier. Oh no, is it Universal Soldier? Universal okay. Soldier. Not Bloodsport. Um, yeah, so the 
it later says they intended to make the game a lot more serious, a little bit more like Enter the Dragon or Bloodsport. But the actual one was Universal Soldier, starring Jean-Claude Van Damme. Who's in Mortal Kombat 1, apparently. Who's now in Mortal Kombat 1 as a Johnny Cage skin, because Johnny Cage was inspired by Jean-Claude Van Damme. And he even wears his outfit, yeah. So they've gone full, full circle, and I'm very curious to know if that's modern day Jean-Claude they'll de-age him like they did at like um, Arnie and um, and uh, Rambo and all that, that I hope so yeah. all that does though is just annoy me even more because that means they're once again doing the thing of characters who'd be thematically appropriate to fight each other and now a lot behind different games yeah, because yeah we could have had like the perfect horror game if you combine them up we would have had the perfect like um, action. action movie crossovers so we could have had Jean-Claude Van Damme fighting the Terminator fighting Robocop fighting Rambo and now we're not Unless the Terminator's still in it somehow. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you could get all of the guest characters from, like, 9 to 11 into Mortal Kombat Ultimate, like Smash did... Yes. That would be a game that sells as much as Smash Ultimate. Why are they... I don't know how they've not got the license to make just, like, the 80s game. Given how popular the 80s is. Like, why have they not got that? Because they've wanted for years to make that, like, horror movie game where you find, like, Scream, like, Ghostface fighting mm, Pinhead. Yeah. And you think that'd be perfect for them as well. Um. So yeah, they wanted to make the game a bit more, you know, serious. Like we mentioned, like Enter no, the Dragon or Bloodsport. Nothing's more serious than guys who fire laser beams in their eyes. But you know, serious when I guess you rip a skull out of somebody. That is pretty serious. It's a bit more serious. Um. Then it basically all went to shit because the Bloodsport. The deal to use the Bloodsport license fell for it. Yeah, they got the Bloodsport license instead. Because they were going to do oh, it for so Universal Soldier and they said, well, they pitched a Bloodsport one. They pitched Universal Soldier to Midway. They said, make a Bloodsport one. Yeah. They did that. The deal fell through. But they already had like um, the guy who was dressed like um, Johnny Cage, uh, d- dressed like um, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme for like body. Because he was only going to come yeah, in. For, yeah. He wasn't going to come in for the proof of concept. They got a guy who looked like him to do some stuff to show to Jean-Claude Van Damme. So that's... Me getting that wrong, like Midway told them make a Universal Soldier. They were like, we want it more like Bloodsport. Yep. Then that fell through, but they decided to continue making Mortal Kombat characters instead. Um, and then yeah, Johnny Cage became a spoof on the whole Jean Claude Van Damme situation. Which is why his backstory is a crap actor, which makes sense. <laughs> like Jean Claude Van Damme, love his movies, he can't act. No, but he's like he's a good action movie star, mm-hmm. right? Like, um. So yeah, it was the success of Capcom's Street Fighter 2 The World Warrior that convinced Midway Games to let the team produce their own arcade fighting game, the genre chosen by Tobias for the game, as to use to let him use as large digitized sprites as possible. Um so like basically just yeah, do it on the arcade, because then this technology you've got of digitizing sprites, we can make like these big digitized cool looking sprites that will like really grab people's attention they also as well because that was the era of arcade machines and you ever hear about like the behind the scenes war to make the loudest arcade machine because there were no rules about how loud arcade machines had to be the loudest and brightest ones that can grab people's attention were the ones that were going to succeed and therefore they just kept going further and further and the mortal kombat one was legendary for how loud it was because it had the thunder crack of like (laughs) And they actually brought in rules to make it not as loud because people were going deaf or getting hearing damage. So what they did for later Mortal Kombat ones is they had the preview mode that was quieter than the actual mode. Right. So the preview mode would be within the limits, but when you actually turned it on, it would just go louder after like an hour or so. (laughs) 
And it, I mean, really, obviously, it wasn't around at the time. What it should have just been is like, it's time for Mortal Kombat. I can't believe it took him 20 years to play that song. Oh, God. And like, the, have they played it in any game? Nope. No. Only in the trailer for um, uh, Aftermath. Um, so it says that here, the Street Fighter 2 was not actually much of an influence on the project. It was just a way to be like, look, Street Fighter fucking sold gangbusters. People like, like fighting games. People want fighting games, yeah. I also forgot Street Fighter 2 was called The World Warrior. Yeah. Like, it's always just Street Fighter 2 or Street Fighter 2 X edition in my head. Um, so, the, Tobias cited 1984's Karate Champ as an inspiration. <coughs> Everyone's favourite game that they definitely remember. Uh, it's, it's, it's fine for what it is. And, uh, yeah, they intentionally worked on making a game that was different than Capcom's title in every way. Uh, besides the digitised characters that differentiated it from its contemporaries hand-drawn one, one stark difference was in the very high amount of blood and violence. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Not as much, it's kind of laughable when you look back at it now, but like if you look at it through the lens of what you Compare had, it to a Street Fighter 2 yeah. at the time, yeah. When you have an actual digitised likeness of an actor having their skull ripped out, it was pretty shocking for the period it was released in. And, um... Yeah, it's like... Uh, da, da, da. Oh, oh yeah, okay. So someone at Capcom like got asked, like, do you prefer the precision and depth of Street Fighter or the gore and comedy of Mortal Kombat? Mortal Kombat. And, you know, I think over time, like, it's... it's I'd, I'd say in terms of, like, you know, if you ask a fighting game fan, it's a bit more close, but in terms of public opinion, it seems like Mortal Kombat Mortal is more Kombat. than that fight. Like, people love gore and comedy over, like, depth and precision, because guess what? You have to really get into... Street Fighter to appreciate the depth and precision. Mortal Kombat lets me press two buttons and I punch someone's dick off. <laughs> yeah. like, you can't do that in Street Fighter. Uh, I I will just say right now I've just seen the chat. I don't know where I got the shirt. It was a present. It was a gift, and you don't ask where you get gifts from. That's not very nice. Um. Okay, so John Tobias said that his inspiration for the game's stories and characters came from Chinese mythology and some of the stories and rumoured events around the Shaolin monks. Yeah. I don't really remember, like, I don't know my Chinese mythology very well, but I don't remember Sub-Zero being a part of it. Not really. No. He might be, I can, I'm sure there's somewhere, like, they found inspirations for, like, Hell Warrior and Ice Warrior and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, but I want to know where Jax came from. Where in Chinese mythology is like some man with just two giant beefy metal arms. What they did is they one of the things that makes um, that game so fun is that they just took it from everywhere. They don't yeah, give yeah. a shit. Like they really don't give. It's like fuck it, we're gonna make this like Chinese like um, cryomancer fight this fire skeleton ninja versus this blind swordsman versus this Again. like half dragon like um, uh, four armed like dump truck man. They just wanted a horse. comedy and gore and like cool digitized sprites, and like I still love those digitized sprites. Like, I they, still think they look good. I don't think they look good, but they look interesting still. They hold up because they look distinct. And, like same no with like um, Donkey Kong Country. I still think like that like set of digitized sprites like, looks really interesting. Like it stands out so much against what was happening back in '92, and I think. They might have both been 92 games. I think Donkey Kong Country might have been as well. Um, but it just looks so interesting. Like, obviously, I think specifically if you're talking Street Fighter 2, 
those sprites hold, hold up extremely well, but oh, yeah. like other fighting games around that time don't all look as good as Street Fighter 2 sprites did. Mm-hmm. For sure, but... Um... I, 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 it is a fantastic series, though. It's just, yeah, and like, I, I do want to just like try and find some extra little Easter egg bits. Like, there we go. We can talk about a couple of the Easter eggs. Okay. Um, that was one thing I just f- figured we can talk about those like just before we uh we leave. But um, some of the Easter eggs originated from in jokes between the members of the development team. One example is Toasty. Yep which we talked about earlier, and that is uh, it found into its way into the game from uh, in the form of a small image of sound designer Dan Forden, who would appear in the corner of the screen during gameplay after performing an uppercut and yell the phrase, Toasty! I, I, love can't, I can't go quite as high as Carl. The one that I can't do, though, is I love that Ed Boone still does get over here. Oh, yes. He still does yeah. that great interview with him and um, uh, Conan O'Brien. Goes, oh, it's Scorpion, right? He's he's your guy. And goes, oh yeah, that, I voice him, you know. I'm like, what? And goes, no, dude, get over here! Like, <laughs> like holy <laughs> shit, it's Scorpion. <laughs> so Ed Boon still does it. Like he, he, I like to think that every single voice actor gets paid the exact same, which they definitely don't. But Scorpion gets paid like one line less because he doesn't do the game. He doesn't get. He does though. But like, what they do is they get Ed Boon to re-record it, and then it's a rare voice line that'll play. Oh, so there's a chance of hearing the Ed Boon, right? Yeah. Okay. He there's, got his money back then. There's a chance of hearing Ed Boon say it, but everything. Like my favorite one, I think it's Mortal Kombat Mythologies or something like one of the games where you fight Scorpion as a, a boss, mm. and if you keep dodging his spear, eventually it just homes in. He says, "Get the fuck over here!" because he gets really mad about it. He's <laughs> like, "Yeah, boy." Um. Oh, okay. So it says it originated from him saying "your toast." That's why it's toasting. Your toast. Your toast. Yeah, that toasty. toasty. Um. It says this egg was key. This was the key to unlocking the hidden character Smoke when it happened in the portal stage in Mortal Kombat Two. Yeah, because they just put so much bullshit in, like that's how you'd fight. You uh, yeah. Smoke. Never realised that before, but um, that's because no one ever unlocked those thing. characters. No one no. did. It. Well, especially when it was the the arcade game you were playing. Like, yeah. Just, I was not you know around at that time in arcades or anything, but I can't imagine how cool it must have been to like walk into an arcade. And see like a character you've never seen before, like a reptile, yeah, or a smoke, and you're like, the, f- I, they, they've never appeared in my game. Well, that's what makes you, like, it go better. back to your your old arcades, and you're like, where? Because they, they added reptile to like later versions, so some versions, of, some arcades didn't have it, oh, which is what fueled the rumors. Because no. like people would say, oh well, this is how you unlock it, and then they'd go to the older version, and then realizing, like, oh, it doesn't work. Um, in Mortal Kombat 4, Forden would say Toasty 3D yep. after Scorpion did his burn fatality, a reference to the fact it's the first 3D game of the series. And the fact they brought him back to do it. And then uh, Toasty is found in Mortal Kombat Shaolin Monks, appearing randomly after the character pulls off a chain of hits. It's also in Mortal Kombat 11, but only on one stage. Oh, right, okay. It's, yeah. it's on one stage, like they put in a retro stage, and if you do it on there, he does it. It says... Right here as well, yeah. The picture of Fordham was removed from Shaolin Monks, but brought back for the 2011 Mortal Kombat reboot. Um, and yet another private joke was the hidden character Noob Cyborg that we uh, talked about earlier. Did you ever hear as well, like, with the, before you move on from the toasty thing, there was actually, like, hidden tech? 
that no one found out until the last year of Mortal Kombat 9's like competitive scene. Where if when Toasty happened, if you put a special series of inputs in that was different for every character, you got four meter. <laughs> and no one knew that that was in the game. And then until some one person realized, oh, if you land an uppercut, you can like, when you get hit by the uppercut, you can end up with four meter Holy and stand back shit. up and just instantly do like a full like 90% combo. Oh, so the person getting hit by the uppercut can. It's whoever enters it first. Oh. So, both, so you can either get a massive advantage or if you know about it in a quick enough, you can enter You can like beat them to it and wake up with four meter. And no one knew that was a thing. Oh dear. That's the I love it. Like they put that in and then never told anyone. <laughs> and it wasn't just for like ten years. Um. So as I say, in addition to the um the noob cyborg thing, um, a counter for Ermax on the game audit screen mm-hmm. was uh, like a short for error macros. That's the famous one, yes. Uh, that was interpreted by some players as a reference to a hidden character in the original game. So they, you know, found their way into the back end of the game. Would see a thing of like how many Ermax have happened, mm-hmm. error macros, and they're like, oh, is that how many times Ermac has appeared? A new character that we've not, like, seen. And it's like, no. Um, and then the development team decided to turn the rumour into reality, introducing Ermac into Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3. That's why you've got to buy the Ultimate one, Carl. Yeah, he's in there. And that, that was as an unlockable secret character. The hidden character Mocap, Motion Capture, um, was introduced in Mortal Kombat Deadly Alliance, and is a tribute to Carlos Pacina, who played Raiden in Mortal Kombat and Mortal Kombat 2, and has served as a motion capture actor for sub- subsequent titles in the series. Just the fact they're willing to do that. Yeah. And there's so many of those like, examples, obviously, like um, Scarlet, the Red Ninja, it's because mm-hmm. there was a glitch where you'd get Katana and Jade's sprites mixed up and they'd become red. Uh, so they were like, okay. oh, it's a red like ninja, and like, no, it's not, but we're going to put it in anyway, fuck you. And um, yeah, there's a lot of other stuff that the Wikipedia delves into, but we generally like to keep the these uh, like a tight, rough half an hour for each segment. Yeah, I went on a bit long with mine, but we, there was there was, yeah. there was so much to cover. Um, and yeah, so that's that's it for the podcast. But we are going to now do some like chatting with chat, yes, some Q and A and stuff like that. But you do have to let us know which wiki won this week yes yeah, so folks at home listening to the podcast or watching the video after the fact let us know which wiki won this week and also how much like you know what if you're in the uk why don't you check your mp and see how much they claim this year <laughs> find out i guarantee you that you'll be surprised and um of course like you know you can let us know in the comments of the video or you know if you're listening to a podcast version in the future when we get uh, that live then just you know reach out to us on social media or anything like that mm-hmm or go and find the YouTube and see what um, people would think in the comments. But maybe we need to start again on top of like doing a poll or something soon. But we can figure that out. We're not not committing to that. We haven't spoken about that. I'm just throwing us under the bus there. Yeah. Just but which wookie? Which wookie? Oh God. Which wookie won this week? <laughs> that's when we do um, uh, Chewbacca's wiki page. Which that's that's when week? we do a Star Wars week and we get the worst comment section. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> so you think which is your favourite wookie? Mine's lumpy. Chewbacca's son. <laughs> yeah, no, Chewbacca's son's called Lumpy. My favourite Wookiee is the last Wookiee at the opening stage of The Force Unleashed that still thinks he's got a chance against Darth Vader <laughs> after watching 50 Wookiees get launched 50 no, miles an hour. No, I like the wooden Wookiees from the first um, uh, Jedi. No, is it? Is it Jedi Apprentice? The one that's just come out, Carl Kestis in. Oh, um, Fallen Order. Yeah, that's it. The wooden Wookiees that look like they're made out of like branches. Yeah. 
I love the wooden wookies. But yeah, uh, tune in for like, you know another episode of the podcast next week. And are we going to take a, a quick break and go get a drink and like stretch our legs? Or are we going to go yeah, straight to um, the I mean, we'll we'll just give it one minute. So we'll go to our little uh, our little banner image just for like one moment, and we'll be back in like one minute. So maybe think about a few questions for Carl and I to answer while uh, we're taking a quick little break, and I you know can stop the recording of the podcast. Cheers. Uh, there we go. Sort this out. You've seen it all happen. It's all happening live. 